worship and focus on the love of the Father for his only begotten Son and the love between them and then know that when you came to Christ and were united in Christ, the Father looks at you with an infinite love which none of us can handle. We won't go over the last chapter of the book on glorification, but uh, C.S. Lewis wrote on this in The Weight of Glory. We can't handle the weight of glory that Jesus looks at you. If you were to see his face, which we can dimly now, behold his face and are being transformed as we look at his face from one degree of glory to the next to be made like him. One day you'll be raised, your soul united to a new body, clothed with immortality, and you will stand face to face and you will look and be empowered to look and gaze at Jesus' face and his face at you with perfect love and this time you won't have shame you won't you know how people when you really adore someone you want to be adored by someone they look at you you kind of you can't handle it look around change the subject you will just be and can be every day moment by moment in this gaze gazing back and forth in pure love and the father saying to you, you are my son or my daughter in whom I'm well pleased. And um, thank you for that, that message. So yesterday we looked at Genesis 2 and 3. We looked at the glory uh, being made in God's image that we all be a reflection and is the glory of God. We're made in his image. Every person, whether saved or unsaved, everyone has a glory, but it's a ruinous glory. We're marred. And we're marred in Adam's first sin. And all of us fall short of the glory of God. All of us have sinned. No, there's none righteous. No, not one. We lost righteousness in Adam, and we gain righteousness in the second Adam, the second man in Christ. This is Romans 5, 19-ish. And so uh, we looked at the glory of being a man, the ruin, glorious ruins, and the redemption of what it means to be a man redeemed who can embrace the sorrow of being inadequate, not enough, and can look to the Lord Jesus, admit we're licked by the curse, and cry out to him who removes the curse. As far as the curse is found, he removes it, says the old, uh, I think Charles Wesley or somebody, him. Far as the curse is found, far as the curse is found. So he removes the curse, he takes it, and redeems us so that we can embrace the sorrow as men were not enough and then moves with tender strength towards others to love well. And women can embrace the sorrow that their heart longs for so much more in terms of relational glory 
having lost that as glorious ruins, women who are redeemed can embrace that sorrow and stop the foolish strategies of being demanding, crouch to control relationships, and admit you're licked, look to the Lord Jesus, the Redeemer, who crushes Satan's head, who takes you as his bride, who adores you and woos you to himself, and then you can open up your heart to relationships again, though not perfect, without being controlling, without uh, having shame, and nurture those and give birth to relationships, though there will be some pain in the midst of it, it counts for eternity in everyday uh, act. Women tend to have the idol of security, and so that's bowing down and giving your heart to security and having strategies that follow that idolatry up. That, that's fallen and ugly, but when you turn to Jesus Christ for your security, it frees you up to be in someone's presence no matter what they're thinking or saying about you, knowing you're loved. Men tend to have the idol of significance, and so we're uh, redeemed. We no longer need to go get that, but we tend to, and through thorns and thistles, we keep trying to get significance for ourselves, but we already have it on the front end in Jesus Christ. And so um, the only thing left to do is to love well once we're secure in our identity in Christ. <coughs> so a bit of that and some, some prints, uh, some reads for you. Even the weight of glory is there on uh, the second one. And we're on page uh, 14 in your handout. <coughs> and I invite you to turn in your Bibles to Luke chapter 4, and we'll look at four or 13 verses. Luke 4, and so I'm hoping this will be up on the screen. And if you didn't bring a Bible, it's the ESV, but whatever translation you have, it'll be helpful. What's happening in Luke 4? If you were to look from 40,000 feet up, what's happening in the context? What's happening in chapter 3? What do you see? What are the headings on your Bible? What's going on? Let's warm ourselves up here. John the Baptist. And what is he saying? Yeah, he's prepare the way and then get out of the way for he is the way and he's saying who Jesus is. He is the Christ, the Messiah. He's the one. <laughs> and he <coughs> baptizes Jesus and then at the baptism, not only is John the Baptist's ministry about the identity of Christ, but then the Father says Jesus' identity one more time, like he didn't need it. Well, as a man acquainted with weakness and tempted in all things, yes. And about what he's about to enter into is temptation. He needs a large dose of identity, just like us, every morning before we run out and try to perform for Christ. And he says, you are my son in whom I'm well pleased. And then what follows that is genealogy. 
so Jesus has a family. Jesus has ethnicity. He's Jewish. As a man, he has uh, uh, relatives, the good, bad, and the ugly, just like you and I. And then in chapter 4, it says, and Jesus full of the Holy Spirit. Could we not get that on the screen? And Jesus full of the Holy Spirit returned from the Jordan, that's a river, <coughs> and was led by the Spirit in the wilderness for 40 days, being tempted by the devil. And he ate nothing during those days. Can you imagine that? This is, uh, what's that show that was popular? The island? The Survivor Island thing. Can you imagine 40 days without food? Being tempted by the devil. He ate nothing all those days. And when they were ended, he was hungry. The devil said to him, If you are the Son of God, command this stone to become bread. And Jesus said, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone. And the devil took him up and showed him all the kingdoms of the world in a moment of time and said to him, to you I will give this, all this authority and their glory for it has been delivered to me and I give it to whom I will. If you then will worship me, it will all be yours. And Jesus answered him, it is written, you shall worship the Lord your God and him only shall you serve. And he took him to Jerusalem and set him on the pinnacle of the temple and said to him, If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down from here, for it is written, <coughs> He will command his angels concerning you to guard you, and, quote, on their hands they will bear you up, lest you strike your foot against a stone. And Jesus answered him, It is said, You shall not put the Lord your God to the test. And when the devil had ended every temptation, he departed from him until an opportune time. So today we're looking at the interpretation war. And that is there's a war going on with each of us, especially since you've become a Christian. I don't know if you've noticed, but I did. When I became a Christian, I noticed that I had a struggle with condemnation. Even though Romans 8, 1 says there's no more condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, nevertheless, condemning thoughts regularly came my way. From where? And I've noticed that a lot of Christians, I've been a, a believer about 35 years, I don't remember the exact number, but anyway, when I came into the church, thank you, bro, I noticed that everybody was struggling with condemnation just like me. And whether it was a sermon on prayer or evangelism or whatever, it's like we always fall short. And I used to think, hey, I already got the gospel. Non-Christians need the gospel. Why do we have to hear the gospel every Sunday? Why do we have the Lord's Supper and hear that all over again? Why do we need the gospel? The non-Christians need the gospel. Well, that's because believers need the gospel nonstop, and Jesus never had any sin, and yet the Father has given him the gospel all the time. How much more do we need the gospel, the good news about who we are? For we're so easily 
vulnerable to the devil. And where he primarily attacks is not our performance, but our position or our being in Christ. So you notice in verse 3, he says, if you are the son of God, in verse 9, if you are, right after he was just told, you are the son of God in whom I'm well pleased, my beloved son by the father, now the devil is attacking right at his identity. And this is the key. This is my take. <clears throat> Check it out. You're sensible. This isn't an exposition of Luke 4. This is just a basic doctrine from this that is an implication that is that if the devil can screw up your identity then he's going to mess up your performance if he could have taken down jesus on identity then it would have been like dominoes so it is true with you every day if you can't start your day believing the Father is smiling over you and loves you, then you will attempt to read the Bible, pray, and do all the things you want to do for him in order to get what you already have. Amen? It's kind of simple. There's nothing uh, more than the gospel, but there's a lot more of it. Um, we, we, I've been praying for an outpouring of the Holy Spirit and revival in our area. And I've had the privilege in God's plan to go to about four churches in January, February in town. And I love being with you. I love worshiping you, with you, you. I, I love your, your people. And um, I felt the same at Victory. I feel the same at Karis. I'll feel the same at Christ's Community with Dwayne Otto's group or Andy Hitty preached his ordination. I don't really care which gospel church you go to. I've found that people of God come together and worship basically Jesus Christ in the same essence of the gospel. And that is so beautiful. And I'm praying that we could unite together around the main things that are the plain things and ask for an outpouring of the Holy Spirit and revival, which has happened in history. Amen. And um, I just pray every day for revival. And it's been, gosh, I've been here 27 years. I never stop praying. I have hope. It's my hope. Because this is the great need. And if there was revival, it wouldn't be fanaticism. It would be a genuine revival. It would be primarily about what Josh just sang, about the love of God and us being melted by what is true. True of us. And the devil would go down. Can't wait to smash his head. Uh, it says Romans 16, 20. Soon you will crush him under your feet. So I know I look like Mr. Rogers, but I'm up for a fight today. <laughs> I'm up for a fight for you because I know and believe that Satan's been sending you message of condemnation on a regular basis. And so I forgot what I was saying and all that, but here we are. And I want to ask the question from this is what is the timing of the attacks in your life? as it was in Jesus. What was the timing in Luke 4? When was he tempted? 
when he's weak, when he's alone, when he's hungry, when he's in the wilderness. Where was the first Adam when he was tempted? In Eden. The second Adam comes and he's tempted in the wilderness and he obeys. He wins righteousness for us. And he is a warrior. God is a warrior. Exodus 15. Jesus is a warrior. Psalm 68. Ephesians 4. He's come to take back what Satan lost. And Satan is still fighting. He came to crush his head on the cross. And he did. And we have so much authority. And so much power in the Holy Spirit. But it comes with truth too. And a lot of Christians just need the gospel, need basics. Reminded, uh, be minded. And anyway, so we're tempted when we're vulnerable. I'm tempted when people leave. Um, I've, that's my part of my story. It's when the abandonment issues, fear someone's going to leave me. <coughs> so Know when you are vulnerable. When do you get attacked? I could get attacked at a grocery store, a gas station pump, uh, out in the foyer of church. The battle isn't just, you know, on Sunday morning for one hour. And so at night, when I can't sleep, um, when are you vulnerable? All the time, maybe. Secondly, um, my core lie, by the way, uh, or central condemning thought in my life, is that I'm not wanted as special in any community. I'm the youngest of six, um, and uh, I don't know why I said that. The point is, in my story, it makes sense that I'm not wanted as special in any community. And no matter how much you would tell me that's not true, it just feels true. So I have a war, a, fight, a battle to fight regarding that because it's not true. But it just feels true and sometimes more than others. And um, so I came up with foolish strategies. I came up with foolish strategies to try to be wanted as special. I was in a group called the Navigators when I came to Christ. And if they said memorize scripture, I memorized scripture. If they said do evangelistic Bible discussions, I did that. I did that with all 60 guys in my fraternity. Within six months, I shared the gospel with every one of them. I was on a treadmill as a Christian, moving out, doing all these things for God. But I was unaware that there was a humming, annoying central condemning thought in my life is that you're not wanted as special or anything in this community. And I would then project onto others. And I, I, when I started preaching as a pastor, uh, I, I would preach, and if somebody was going like this, you know, they weren't, from behind it looks like they're saying amen, but it, they're actually falling asleep on you. And, and 
rather than giving them the benefit of the doubt that they're on medication, they didn't sleep well last night, I would project and say, see, I'm not wanted. No matter how hard I tried preaching, they won't listen, they don't care, they don't want me here. And people would say to me, uh, afterwards they, I, they would say, that was a great sermon. Uh, early on, someone said, that was the best sermon I ever heard. And I remember thinking, one, they never heard preaching before. <laughs> Two, they are lying. You know what flattery is? It's like perfume, smells great, but don't drink it. <laughs> and, you know, I would just, I would go home and, and I would spend a lot of time in confession and prayer. I, God, I'm such an awful wretch. I'm a sinner. I'm I can't even love these people. I can't preach well enough. I can't give well enough. I can't do this as a husband, as a father, as, as whatever, a son, a brother. All this stuff, I just constantly ask, just confess. I am such a sinner. Oh, God, please forgive me, forgive me. And I, I had 1 John 1, 9 memorized and all that. And I confess my sins. So I've just like confessed for a long time. And I remember one day, it was like Jesus, I know he rose from the grave, but it was like he was on the cross and I was on the floor and he kind of went, <clears throat> excuse me, Bob. <laughs> I paid for that. And I started to change my prayers of confession to more of receiving. And I realized I had so much self-hatred, I couldn't even look in the mirror. I like Before I came last night, I looked in the mirror and said, okay, I got to test this out. This is how I'm made. You made me. This is who I am. But I hate my nose. I hate my voice. I, hate, I can't listen to a sermon of mine or anything like that. Reading one of my books is rough. And because I'm still dealing with this battle of self-hatred. And it looks godly when you're on the ground groveling, doesn't it? It's false humility. It's like, uh, when did the prodigal son repent? I might get to the material today. Depends. Uh, when did the prodigal son repent? Jews don't eat pig stuff. He was hungering for the pig's food. Came to his senses. And he thought, my father's servants, slaves, they have it better than me. He comes home. He prepared his speech. In those days, a son was to, <coughs> Jewish son, having wasted the inheritance, was to drag his lip on the dirt and crawl to his father's feet and beg to be a servant to pay off the debt of the inheritance. The father sees him looking every day and ran to him and hugged him and loved him, didn't even listen to his confession, turned around and said, fattened calf, sandals, rings, robe, you are going to be in the center of the community and everyone's going to delight in you and I will be the number one fan for my son was lost and now he's fine. When did he repent? When he got up off the dirt and he sat at the table and he just received the love of the Father. Then he went out to the older brother. What was his issue? 
you never threw a party for me. I've been serving you for years. He won't come to a party because of his self-righteousness. But whether it's self-hatred or self-righteousness, we all have to repent and come to receive the love of the Father. So, the timing and two ways lies function for us in Christian disguise. Do you have a, a marker? Or I got a marker in this thing. Let's see. We just saw our grandkids in Arizona. And with I always go real healthy. And about day two, cute little Nora was had a cold. And that little bug takes me down. And so whether I'm tearful or still getting over this cold, you'll notice. All right, here's, here's a basic, here's an image of, not exact, but an image to help teach that we each are glorious ruins. We have dignity and we have depravity. We are glorious ruins. This is our soul, let's say. Our dignity is primarily seen in our longings. The reason I know you have glory is because you have longings. You long for more than anything this world can offer. You will never be satisfied except for the hors d'oeuvre that you get as a believer the down payment of the Holy Spirit, the love of God shed abroad in your heart. But the feast is still to come. Isaiah 25, 26, it's a feast that, I mean, fundamentalists are going to go to. There's the best of wines and meats, and it's going to be like Jewish dancing, not like American potlucks. <laughs> but I mean... One fine day. And you have longings. As a woman, you long to be delighted in. You were built to be loved and have deep connection. As a man, to be great and significant. But you also, all of us, have depravity. And I'm going to use the word autonomy. That is, we each try to make life work on our own. As believers, our default mode is autonomy. Just like a printer, if you hit print, it's going to go to the default printer. But if you manipulate it and say, no, go to this printer, then it'll go to the other printer. And all of us, our default mode or printer is, I got this, God. I'm, I'm going to do it on my own. Rather than believe God and the gospel, we try and fix ourselves. So we come up with in Christian disguise, foolish strategies. In order to try to prove or defend ourselves, 
concerning this central condemning thought that we each have that has been shot into our soul over and over again because Satan knows our story, knows when we're vulnerable. Children are vulnerable, right? When children see mom and dad having conflict, they, our kids used to, just when they were two or three, they would come over and hug our legs in the kitchen. We were just having a little conflict. Children are excellent observers, but they're poor interpreters. And children tend to, in that moment, the evil one has no compassion. He came to kill and steal and destroy each one of us, and he launches arrows. And a child tends to believe, it's my fault that my parents are in a fight. It's, it's my fault that my dad didn't delight in me when I came down in a ballerina dress, hopefully you were a girl, and or swung a baseball bat, hit a hit, and somehow it wasn't quite enough. Uh, and so the interpretation, war exists from childhood on up. And um, very early on, uh, we go to default mode. A child doesn't say, oh, my father failed. I forgive him. I am accepted as righteous in your sight, God, through Jesus Christ's righteousness. I am uh, adopted and loved, Father. Uh, out of the orphanage of this world in love and uh, have a great inheritance. And I forgive my father and uh, therefore uh, I just choose to love him and believe the truth about myself and who I am. That is not what a child or most believers do. We tend to embrace the lie because it feels so true apart from Christ. And we I call it a central condemning thought because it's usually condemnation. And we come up with foolish strategies, sort of like, I'll pray more, read the Bible more, be a good boy, I'll try harder, be a good girl, and hopefully prove that that lie's a lie, which is so pathological. We're trying to prove a lie's a lie. So, and then every once in a while, when we can't, and we can't, we surrender and say, see, it's true. I'll give the story. So we had a girl that was very fruitful in a campus ministry at our church. She was, and you can come take a photo of this after and, and use it if you'd like, because we'll erase it. And, uh, but um, she, she, she was like doing evangelism leading Bible studies and all this coming to our church. And we would have a, a, about once a quarter a praise, testimony, and healing service. Elders would have oil and so forth, and people could stand up, give a word, lead us in a song, share, ask for prayer. And a lot of people asked for prayer. It would take, it'd take a couple hours. And the child care people got kind of angry, so we, we tried to shorten that. But a lot of things happen in those times. Well, this girl in college got up and she started shaking and she couldn't move. And I knew what that was. And I said, let's just wait. We'll just pray over her. And we, we uh, rebuked the evil one and spoke peace and blessing. And she, she just relaxed. And then she said, well, I just wanted to say I've got an eating disorder. <laughs> 
And I just want prayer. And so we prayed for her, for healing and this sort of thing. And I said, I'd like to meet with you if we can this week. And we did, sat in my office, and this is how we went about it. She said she had been to all these psychologists and so forth on this eating disorder and this and that and the other thing. And uh, I said, well, let's just ask the Holy Spirit a question. Father, in the name of Jesus, Holy Spirit, um, what, what is the humming, condemning thought in my sister's mind and heart? And she did it and she said, I'm fat and ugly. And she's not fat and ugly. But it's, I'm fat and ugly. I said, uh, is that from God? Or where do you think that's from? Has someone told you you're fat and ugly? No, no one told me I was fat and ugly. Do you think that's from God? She thought for a long time. Well, I don't think so. Well, do you think God is telling you you're fat and ugly? Finally, she said, no, I, that can't be from God. Well, who is that from? Okay, that's from the evil one. That's how long it takes with people. That is from the evil one. God doesn't condemn. And so then, uh, so we, I said, well, let's ask another question. Holy Spirit, was there ever a time that you would bring up one event when she was vulnerable where she came to believe this, this central condemning thought? may seem kind of strange to her, may seem like a little event, but please bring that to mind. I have found the Holy Spirit's more than willing to give an answer to that. And almost like that, she has an answer. She said, well, it's not much. I mean, it's a little event. I said, exactly, let's go with that. We don't need to go through your whole file cabinet of your whole story. I'm not a psychologist. We're going to rely on the Holy Spirit. And, the, and it was like, this is the event. Well, she was at a birthday party, and uh, she was preparing her friend's birthday party with a mother of the friend. They were at their house, and they were doing food and that, getting it ready. And she reached over and grabbed a potato chip out of the potato chip bowl, and the mother just went like this. Not for you, not now. Not bad mother or anything like that. It's not about the people in your life. But that event behind that person was the evil one. You're fat and ugly. Well, then I asked her, um, have you ever projected onto others that they think you're fat and ugly? Oh, yeah. Then it all came out. People think this and so forth. And that's unfair because people aren't even thinking about that. If you come in on a Sunday morning, there's all these, if you imagine, lines going from one person to another all over. They're all thinking lies about themselves and then projecting onto others. Someone doesn't say hello to you and you're going to get coffee and you think, ah, see, I'm worthless. They think I'm worthless. And uh, the person's not thinking that at all. And, and if you ask someone, so you should ask a question of clarification. Were you thinking this when this happened? And you'll find out they weren't at all. They're probably thinking their lie. Here's the good news. 
here's the good news. Everyone's thinking about themselves. <laughs> I love that. I remember I was interning with a pastor, and we were standing outside about noon in the parking lot. I said, Rodney, you've got two different color socks on. And he said at night, you know, he put it in the morning, he put it on, he couldn't see. People don't notice. People don't know that I wore the same clothes every Sunday for like 27 years. <laughs> Isn't that great? Maybe they do. So she said that, and then uh, I said, well, how would you like to repent of this lie that you're fat and ugly? What does every Christian say? Yes. And then I say, I don't think so. And then they get really mad at me. And I say, I think you cherish your lie. Because it's functioned for you for years. Because these foolish strategies you've had of whatever you do with food and all that and control, <clears throat> this longing to be secure and be loved and delighted in, accepted and all this that you already have in the gospel, all these strategies are trying to prove that you're pretty and beautiful and competent and all this stuff. And so... Um, then we thought about all her foolish strategies, all that work for the campus ministry, all that stuff. She was right. I said, do you ever burn out? She said, oh, yeah, I surrender from time to time. And I just go eat, eat, eat. Well, until you renounce this lie and your foolish strategies, you're still going to be ruled by it and not the gospel. So she got to the point where she said, oh, yeah, I'm sick of my foolish strategies, I'm sick of this lie. And she renounced it, not one time, but regularly. And I encouraged her that I said, repentance for you would be to learn how to rest as a woman who's loved. And I want you to meet with this, I just want you to go live almost with this family. The Swigers, I want you to just hang with Tara. I led, I led Mark to the Lord and Tara, and they, they adopt kids nonstop. <laughs> they walk into church like an army. Our church attendance went up when they're there. It went down when they were gone. <laughs> they, they are so loving. But anyway, she gave womanly nurturing as a redeemed woman to another woman. And this, uh, I said, no more campus ministry for a year. That's my advice, not a rule. And she did it, and she learned to rest in the gospel. Then went back and had a very fruitful senior year. She went full-time in a southeastern nation. She's been so fruitful. She's still today fruitful with uh, southeastern Asians and has a glorious ministry. She said, how did you do that? I it said, it's just the gospel. I've been to all these people and getting trying to get help. And whatever your symptom is, if you don't deal with the central condemning thought, all the symptoms really aren't going to be dealt with. Because sooner or later, you'll come over here to surrender and then go into your symptomatic sins. 
If we just address the symptoms, then we're not going to really change. Real transformation takes place when you repent of your central condemning thought. And I listed some there for you that are common on page 16. And this is just from the Enneagram. The Enneagram is New Age people and Christians are all grabbing it. But the thing is, I sent a test and a test key if you want to take it, if your pastors say it's okay. But it just simply identifies your core fear. And these are the nine personalities and nine core fears. And it's based on patho pathological approaches to life. And so it's easy to name nine fears because there's nine pathological ways that Satan is condemning people. And um, mine is number four there. My wife's a uh, six. She, she, she is always anxious. Anxious thoughts. There's always a jury. There's like five voices in her head. And she's not schizophrenic. And she just does something but always second guesses it. And she had to repent of the lie that she's without support and guidance. And her foolish strategies to try and get it. <clears throat> so whatever it is, I've got twins or threes and so forth. Uh, so... That gives you an idea. So, so far, so good. Do you, are you tracking this? Okay. Um, we get, we'll have a Q&A here. But the, um, the page 14, the bottom number three, the added danger of projection. So if your lie is, if Satan's lie, central condemning thought is you're worthless, you're going to tend to project onto others that they think you're worthless, okay? If your lie is something along the lines of you don't have a voice because you don't matter, then you're going to project that onto others. So when we train officers in our church, we deal with this stuff so that when they come to a meeting, the, they don't project onto others. They don't care what I say because my voice doesn't matter that we're going to deal with the lie before we get there so that everyone can share their lies and our community can begin to believe the truth. So let's change. Did someone want to take a picture of this before we erase it? And I'll, I'll need an eraser. Do you have an eraser, Terry? So the next uh, page is how to win the war with the gospel. And um, there you are. Thank you. I think if I just use this, I'll be fine. You didn't get a picture of that you wanted. Just point it at it. That's what you All right. So this is so simple. That's kind of another big picture of what we're talking about. So position. So every morning when I meet with God, I, I just shut up. I have silence. And I let all my anxious thoughts fall to the ground. Might take 10 minutes. In fact, I challenge you to be quiet for 10 minutes 
and focus on your father's smile over you. Just focus on your father's smile over you, 10 minutes. And then open the word and pray and so forth. But every morning before you do anything, you have glory. You are made in the image of God and you have gender glory. This is who you are. And you have um, acceptance. We'll go over this after break a bit, some of these. Acceptance. You um, are a child of the Father. You are adopted, therefore loved. Um, you are a saint. You were anointed by the Holy Spirit. You're a Christian, an anointed little one, like Christ with the Holy Spirit. Um, therefore, you're holy. And, and we could probably add more things. These, this is who you are every day, the moment you wake up, when you sleep at night, and so forth. What we tend to do is start our day by ignoring this and we say oh man i got to i got to get to that identity conference i got to you know i'm supposed to help out with the coffee my house is a mess i really need to clean my house my car that's a that's a disaster it needs fuel and i got to clean it and i should change have the tires rotated uh, and so forth my my checking account my finances are behind i I need to meet with some people. I have some appointments. I got to go to work. It's a busy day, and I, I really should take care of calling some friends and getting back to them. I've got social media to catch up with, and I've got uh, family, and I've got I got to pray and read the Bible. I've got to do some witnessing. I've got to really be in worship, and I've got to blah 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 blah. Okay. Because if I do this, then I'll be accepted by God. If I do all this, then I'll be loved. If I do all this, then I'll be holy. If I do all this, then... Does it make sense? Here's the story. There's, you know what golf is? Little ball, tee, wooden tee, grass, club. Uh, a guy I know work. Uh, in our same denomination, he's got a big church and a lot of staff. They went golfing, and uh, the youth pastor went first. He put his ball down on the tee. The green is way down there. Green takes it to, I mean, the fairway, <clears throat> nicely cut. There's a golf cart path of asphalt. If you have carts, you drive that, and there's a flag on the green way down there. He takes out his big club. Now they're huge these days. He, he swings and he's right-handed and he slices it. That means the ball goes up like this and it starts to go over a tree line. And the lead pastor's waiting with his club and he sees the ball going up over this tree line. On the other side of the trees is a road and coming down this road in one of those big SUVs is an important person in his church. They're looking at each other. He's coming 
right there. The ball looks like it's going to hit the windshield. And at the last minute, it hits a tree branch, bounces back down on the asphalt path, bounces and bounces forward and forward as a golf ball will, rolls up on the green. <laughs> and the youth pastor picks up his tee and says, good thing I had a quiet time today. <laughs> Meaning, if you perform well, God will love you. How many sermons have we heard? Be good. It's good to be good. Don't be bad. God will get you. So religion is, I obey, therefore I'm accepted. The gospel is, I'm accepted, therefore I obey. That's a Tim Keller quote, put it that way. And all the major world religions are works-based. But only Christianity gives everything on the front end through Jesus Christ. I get very religious when I have an interview or a, something I've got to perform, start praying more, start being good. Because that mentality, it's my default mode to go to religion rather than the gospel. A lot of, a lot of men struggle with pornography and this sort of thing, and they make a, a vow. They, they're doing well, and then they, they fall, and then they make a vow. God, I'll never do that again. I'll be a good boy. And they start off again performing well, and then they do it again, and they make another vow. And it's this cycle right here. It's called the addiction cycle. And the real key of transformation, what you believe about change, is either your good works or the gospel. So when you fall, the best thing to do is to get your eyes off yourself and look up to Christ and say, behold him there. When Satan tempts me to despair upward, I look and see him there who made an end of all my sin. So you, you look to Christ and you say, oh, I'm accepted. I'm pardoned. I don't want to sin. And you move forward. But if you go back to this works religion, you're going you're gonna to be more likely to get in an addictive cycle, whatever it is, eating, whatever it is. So we hide this and go to this. And what I'm saying is all this performance should flow from your position. When you walk into, let's say you work at State Farm, when you walk into State Farm, you should be walking in saying, I'm highly favored, I'm accepted, I'm loved, and I'm here to serve. And the only thing left to do is to love well. I don't have to gain acceptance here. I'm not going to give anyone the authority to tell me who I am. I'm going to rest. I'm going to work hard, because I like to work hard, because he predestined good works for me to do, and he's going to reward me disproportionately. Good night. The gospel's really good news. <laughs> so I want to live. I want to perform. I'm not against performance. I'm for it. For the right reasons. 
So when we get then, therefore, to repent and believe the gospel on page 15, number two, we're repenting of that core lie. We're repenting of condemnation. It sounds different because we usually repent of all kinds of things, but we're renouncing a lie. It is a lie that you are worthless. God is not telling you you're worthless. If you want to know how much you're worth, look at the cross. That's how much you're, you cost. So we renounce these, this lie. And I renounce my foolish strategies. I don't have to try and overcome the lie by good works. I renounce all that. I'm not gonna, I renounce projecting onto others that they think this awful thought about me. And I embrace the gospel, which we're going to go to after the break. I'm going to use questions of clarification for people. So you take a marriage, Karen's lie is, I'm without support and guidance, I'm, I'm unwanted, and you throw those two together, you're going to have conflict, or with children and with people in church. So I could, you could always ask people a question of clarification. When this happened, what were you thinking? Do you think I'm a failure or whatever? So that's fair. But we, may, we, we cannot project. That's unfair. Now I'm going to just close with one story. It's in the book. And then we'll take a break. Or Q&A if you'd like. <clears throat> so we had five kids. I recommend zone defense. And we had, so we had three Emily's married with four. She, she married a pastor. Then Nate is an elder at a church. He's in Germany and France this morning, six hours ahead. We have this family thread. We're all pretty close. And uh, we're all very close. And uh, then there's Johnny. He's an elder at our church, married a wonderful girl, Katie Heisner, a Christian family in town. They've got four. And uh, then there were the twins. Ethan's 6'4". Lizzie's a cute little blonde. And every February, I would take them. They used to go to Cornerstone. There was a revival there their senior year. Uh, but every February, when it gets like this, um, I would take them on a date. I always thought they need a break right there in school. But um, anyway... Uh, I would take them, Ethan, I would take them to an NBA basketball game usually in Chicago and uh, all you could eat. I would take them to some place and it was one of these places you could just eat all you want. One time I took them on a date, we ate and I said, Ethan, do you want to eat anything more? He started to cry and said, Dad, I love you so much. <laughs> the guy would just eat all the time and sleep. He just kept growing before dinner. My wife would say, Ethan, just eat a bun. He would he'd throw a hot dog bun down just before dinner. He'd have like, after dinner, he'd throw in a frozen pizza. We were broke. And uh, so he kept growing, and that's Ethan. But uh, take Lizzie, 
to a play usually in St. Louis or Chicago, a, a Broadway play. And so I pick them up, you know, cold like this, February, pull up to the school. They're so happy to get out of school, get time with me. I want to invest in them in discipleship. I'm driving up uh, Highway 55 to go. We go to a real nice dinner and we go to the play and then we go home. And we're, we're driving up and I'm sharing all this. I say, Lizzie, I am learning that my, there's a, just a humming, annoying lie that I'm just not wanted. And, uh, and she said, not wanted? Everyone would want to hang with you. And I'd say, doesn't matter what you say. I mean, it just feels so true. And I've recognized that I've come up with foolish strategies to try and get wanted. I've done all kinds of things. And it's really just for me. I'm not really loving anybody. It's all my project. And so I, I'm sick of the lie. I'm sick of all these efforts, foolish strategies. And I'm renouncing them regularly every day, uh, learning to love well and rest in who I am in Christ. And I said, Lizzie, do you think you have a, a core lie or a central condemning thought? She said, I, don't, I think so. And so I said, let's pray. So we're driving. I tend to keep my eyes open when I drive and pray. <laughs> and I kept my eyes open, and she closed her eyes in the passenger seat. And uh, I, uh, Holy Spirit, we pray, what's that humming, annoying, condemning thought that Lizzie just hears all the time? And big elephant tears come down her cheek and say, in Jesus' name. And she looks up and I say, do you think, you know, the Holy Spirit gave it to you? And she said, yeah, I'm not good enough. I said, not good enough? I mean, she's this cute little girl who, she's, she walks with God. She went to South Africa and Zimbabwe. I remember trusting God, cleaning up her room when she's gone. I find a Elizabeth Elliot book about Amy Carmichael, chance to die. She wanted to die <laughs> as a martyr, praying that she comes home safe. She's just a good girl. And you know what? Pastors like good little girls in their family. But I don't like Pharisees in my family. So she's a good little girl, straight A's, cheerleader. She would cheer, throw her up in the air, Everyone would clap. We would clap after she landed safely. <laughs> Ethan would play basketball. We got two and one. It was great. So um, I, I said, not good enough. She said, yeah. I said, have you ever tried to prove you're good enough? Oh, yeah. Like, I have to get 100% on a test. I said, Lizzie. For you to repent is to get a B. It's like, I can never do that, Dad. <laughs> she had to counsel her friends and so forth. I said, do you ever surrender to the lie that you're just not good enough? She said, oh, yeah, I get depressed. I go in my room, just eat, close this curtain, gets real down, just surrenders to the lie, I'm not good enough. I said, how would you like to repent of this lie? Well, we prayed, and she you know, was not good enough. And strategies. I said, do you think this is from God? Well, I'm not good enough. 
You think God is telling you you're not good enough? Well, I'm not. I said, are you good enough in Christ? Well, yes. She knew the doctrines of justification. So, Well, yes. I said, so is it true that you're not good enough in Christ? No. Then where is this message from? It's not from God. It's from the devil. How would you like to repent of this lie and renounce it? What does she say? Yes. What do I say? I don't think so. I think you cherish this lie. Now the elephant tears are gone. Her jaw's down. She's mad at me. She's like this. <laughs> yep, I think you cherish it. I think it's functioned for you for years to be the best little pastor's daughter, sister, granddaughter, Christian, Susie Christian at Cornerstone Christian Academy. A lot of people think you're good enough. It's functioned. But are you sick of it? Are you sick of the performance and the surrender? Trying to prove it? And then she got there. She finally got to she was sick of it. Said, now would you like to renounce that lie that you're not good enough and your foolish strategies to be perfect in grades to all this stuff? Yes, I am so sick of it. So she renounced that, not one time, but regularly throughout uh, the years there. She, long story short, she, she, she made the valedictorian, and so she gave the speech. And you know the valedictorian speech is humanism, usually. You're the best class ever. You're going to change the world. You can do it. You can do it. The, the Alistair begged at our wedding. He's a Scottish preacher. You might have heard him on Moody and did our counseling. And he said the first time he came to the United States with his wife, he married an American. He, he went to her school and they were playing football. And they're in the stands and their team is getting killed. And the cheerleaders were down there saying, you can do it. You can do it. You can. You can. You can do it. You can do it. You can. Man is basically good. Schaefer said the humanist has both feet firmly planted in midair. And he leaned over and he said, we ain't going to do it. <laughs> and so I made sure, you know, our kids, you know, speak the gospel and helped her with her speech. But she got up and she just... She just preached Christ and was honest about brokenness and everything. She, she went on, gave her speech. There was a 10-minute standing ovation. We just all stood there. And the class got up spontaneously and went over and sang in Christ alone. It was a beautiful moment. I'm all for performance and for the right reason. Father, thanks for this time here thus far. I pray you'd refresh us on our break, help us to persevere this last session, and all of us come to the point of really writing out our true identity in Christ. 
open our hearts to receive the gospel as we look at that in the next uh, time. In Jesus' name, amen. We'll do a Q&A right before the second session. So do you want to ask any questions or discuss anything? How do you identify the core lie? How do you identify the core lie? So I really believe that with a, a, a mentor or godly person, this could be helpful together. <clears throat> you can on your own. And ask the Holy Spirit of truth to identify and spell out the condemning, annoying, humming message. However, some people just like, they, that, they just can't do that or that doesn't happen. Some people, while I teach, they know, like the Holy Spirit goes, boom, they know exactly what it is. Some people pray and it comes. Some people, it doesn't come for a while. And I would say the Enneagram test will definitely, if it's, you know, it's kind of, I, I don't like tests. My family all took it. I don't want to take it. Finally, on a Sunday afternoon, they said, you got to take it. And it's like, you know, so many questions. And yeah, yeah, yeah. And I'm a four, so I want to be unique. And, and I can't be, I, you know, no one can understand me. It's part of my lie. And uh, so... I, some of the questions I couldn't answer, and they're like, it's that one, that's you. I'm like, it's the course. I go, okay. But it came out just exactly, it matched my lie. And I, so I think it's reliable to a degree, and maybe that would be a shortcut for you to identify. It calls the core fear. Uh, that probably would be one other way. Can there be more than one lie? Sure, there's lots of lies, but there's probably one central condemning thought in your story. And so if I asked, uh, you know, if your lie was, that's a lie, I'm not good enough. So then I would ask the question, Holy Spirit, why am I not good enough? 
I'm not good enough because I'm not. And then you, you ask the Holy Spirit to start spelling it out. Was there ever a time where this lie came in my life? Would you please give an event? Event might come to mind. What did the person say? Did you give them authority? Forget the person behind that person was the evil one. So, was there another event? You know, maybe there's a number of events. Um, what was your father's message to you? What was your mother's message to you? What was your family message? So I've identified those in my prayer journal where they were lies, I renounce them. Where they were affirmations, <clears throat> I accept them. But uh, the family message to me came out. You know, it's what Satan, it wasn't the family I'm mad at. It's the evil one used my family message. So um, I renounce those lies as well. Why is it so easy to believe a lie rather than the truth? And, and in a way, we, you know, we believe both. You know, we're ambivalent, which is the block to faith, where ambivalence is you're split down the middle. I love you. I hate you. I believe. Help my unbelief. So we have that going on. The more you've been betrayed, the more ambivalence in your life. It breaks down trust. So a lot of uh, sexual abuse, um, my wife, uh, I had mild sexual abuse, but um, there's going to be more, the evil one works in that way because of our gender and all those things, shame, guilt, self-contempt, all that can show up quicker the more wounded you've been one way or another. So, but we've all, we've all been fed a pack of lies from the world, the devil, and our own sinful nature. So it's not like we just popped out of the womb. You know, our kids need to know we have a story. And, you know, you didn't just pop out, you know, Christian dad. And you kids need the gospel, but, you know... <laughs> We need to tell them uh, the story. What are the meaning of these stones, Papa Bear? Papa Bear, what is the meaning of these stones? Well, we were slaves in Egypt. And by the blood of the Lamb, we were rescued. Did I ever tell you that story? <laughs> so, I mean, we got to tell the gospel through our story. No matter what... Uh, how good of a family or whatever you came from, there's, there's the evil one, the enemy, and a, and a war, and, and so forth. Yeah.
No, I think they really mean it in a sense, but I think the, the depth of deceit is so deep in Christianity. Like uh, we use doctrine to hide our deceit and our commitment to lie and folly. Most people in ministry are ministering to others for their own, uh, overcome their own lie and to get significance or, you know, the whole question I was joking with Pastor Jason is, you know, pretty much everything's performance and you go to a pastor's conferences. How many people are in your church? You know, that's the first question, you know. And the whole focus is your identity is based on how many people are in your church or whatever. And so it's like that in, in everything we do. Now, everything we do is kind of based on this system that your identity is achieved by your performance. And so I have come to believe that we are glorious ruins, and the ruined part is we're autonomous. Whether a believer or not, we are committed to making life work separate from God and grace. We tend not to look outside of ourselves up to him for and trust. We tend to look at ourselves, beat ourselves up, and go for it again. So I just believe that people have embraced or cherished their central condemning thought because it's functioned for them for years. So usually when you hear somebody share their central condemning thought, you go, you got to be kidding. You ugly? I have compassion for beautiful women because they're either want to be, their glory is, whatever your glory is, if your glory is beauty, men want to consume it, and women envy and hate you most of the time because they don't have it. And so to be a beautiful woman in this world is very difficult, and because they're autonomous, they'll try and believe, they'll tend to believe they're not beautiful enough and keep working to try and be more beautiful and beauty is fading and that's why Hollywood stars fall apart champion athletes and celebrities are a nightmare because performance is is, is what we're going to talk about next but uh, so I really believe it's function for people and so the question of, to the Holy Spirit is, how has this condemning thought functioned for me over the years to try and overcome it on my own, which is no longer necessary since I already have everything on the front end in Christ. All right, so, so far it's been pretty easy. All you had to do is sit there, have some coffee, listen, sing, say hello to people, hear some things. Now, you have to perform. That's right. 
I'm going to have you stand. I'm going to have you chant without looking at your notes. You will do this. You can. You can. You can do this. Because we're looking at the very first diamond of three of this beautiful gospel. And the first is you're accepted. As you're pardoned of all your sins, you're accepted as righteous in God's sight. But only for the righteousness of another, namely Jesus Christ, imputed to you and received by faith alone. It's just, you know, the gospel with Abraham, he believed and it was credited to him as righteousness in Genesis 15, 6. But he was a liar. He was a coward. He said his wife was his sister. He, but, he, but he was righteous in God's sight. Paul picks up on that little verse and writes Romans and Galatians. Jesus uses it in all four Gospels. Philippians is all that. This is what the Reformation was all about, the Protestant Reformation. Martin Luther said it's the chief article upon which you stand or fall. John Calvin, Jean Calvin, the Frenchman in southern Switzerland, he said it's the hinge upon which the door of God opens and closes. And if it's the central doctrine of so much of the Bible, Habakkuk, Paul pulls a little verse out of Habakkuk, the just shall live, the righteous shall live by faith. This is the big controversy in Galatians. This is the Pharisees with Jesus, self-righteousness versus his righteousness. This is the big thing here, but... If you were to go into a church or a large auditorium of Christians and say, could anyone tell me what justification means? And probably you wouldn't get too many hands up. And so we're just going to just nail this because this is our ammunition. This is our weapon when you're in life. It was first aspect, first weapon of the gospel. We're just going to memorize a, a prayer. We're going to put it, I'm going to put it in a prayer form. So I'm going to go like this. I'm going to ask you to stand and do it with me. And in a little bit of time, you're going to memorize it. And, and then you could use this, I hope, in life. And it goes like this. I'm pardoned of all my sins and accepted as righteous in your sight. And I go like this because I'm thinking of the 33 years that Jesus lived a righteous life without sin. And I say, but only for the righteousness of Christ imputed to me and received by faith alone. And I know some of you are older and you're thinking, I can't memorize. <laughs> well, we'll just, we'll just try. Maybe the Holy Spirit will give you help. Okay? And so let's stand and we'll, we'll do it. And we're going to compete. We're going to have this side compete against this side, this side. Yes. Okay, let's all say the first part together. I am pardoned of all my sins. I am pardoned of all my sins. Do you believe that? Yes. Past, present, future? Yeah. Let's say that little phrase again is in prayer. 
I am pardoned of all my sins and accepted as righteous in your sight. Let's say those two together. I am pardoned of all my sins and accepted as righteous in your sight. Let's say it again. I am pardoned of all my sins and accepted as righteous in your sight. Now I'm going to go like this. But only for the righteousness of Christ. Let's try that. All right, we're going to do all three. I am pardoned of all my sins and accepted as righteous in your sight but only for the righteousness of Christ imputed to me and received by faith alone. Here we're going to try the whole thing. We're just going to try it. Aren't you glad memorization, righteousness is filthy rags? Because, you know, we're, we're, the very thing we're memorizing we're going to start performing and thinking, I got memory righteousness. <laughs> I mean, my father-in-law used to come home and I would have house maintenance righteousness. <laughs> like, it's all set. Car maintenance righteousness, here he comes. I've been good. <laughs> right? Homeschool righteousness. Right? Music righteousness. Reach out to the poor righteousness. Missionary righteousness. Right? Prayer righteousness. It's all filthy rags. Because the only reason we're accepted as righteous in God's sight is for the righteousness of Christ. So you could like, you know, you could say, Alistair begs what you can say. But only... But only for the righteousness of Christ, right? Or you, whatever accent, use your ethnicity, right? And, you know, use your ethnicity. And, but only for the righteousness of Christ imputed to me, which means like credited, imputed to me, and received by faith alone. We're going to try this. Here we go. I am pardoned of all my sins and accepted as righteous in your sight, but only for the righteousness of Christ imputed to me and received by faith alone. One more time. Let's try it again. Go ahead. Okay, let's try that again. I am pardoned and accepted, but only for the righteousness of Christ imputed to me and received by faith alone. All right. Now this side is going to do it, and you're going you're gonna to grade them 1 to 10. Okay, how they do. Okay. All right, I'm only going to do the hand motions. you got to raise your voice and do a good job, okay? Because they're going to grade you, your performance. Whether or not you have memorization righteousness. So this every, your righteousness is on the line. 
based on your performance. Okay, isn't that fun? That's religion, right? Okay, here we go. Wow, how did they do? They're just clapping so that you will clap for them. And what did I just do there? Projection. I don't know their hearts. Only God knows the heart. So that's projection. I repent. I'm pardoned of all my sins. Okay, are you ready to go for this? And you're all going to grade. And you have more people on your side. That's cheat. You had the middle row. So you all, come on. Underdogs. Your righteousness is at stake. It's based on your performance. Religion. No. No condemnation. Okay, here we go. Wow, how'd they do? All right, have a seat. Who thinks they have it? Who thinks they have it? Who? Did you hear someone around you that had it? TJ? All right, TJ, are you married? No. Where do you work? Homeschool student. Are you the oldest, second oldest, oldest? And are these your parents over here? Okay. Do you have any chores at home? Yes. What are they? I deal with washing dishes and cleaning up the table and floor after her meals and helping to mind the other siblings. Okay. In the winter, dealing with snow on the driveway. In the summer, dealing with the lawn. All right. Do you? Do you drive? I'm learning. You're learning? All right. All right, here we go, TJ. <laughs> it was your worst day. Yeah. You woke up and your sibling said, TJ, you never do what you're supposed to do. These dishes are a mess. You're supposed to clean them. And the table's a mess. And your parents say, TJ, I'm very disappointed in you today. You've really let the family down. You're not doing well. You go out and shovel the driveway, and the shovel breaks. And you're like, I'm going to have to do this by hand, and it takes forever. And you come home, and your siblings don't have hot chocolate for you. They're like, hmm, too bad. Shouldn't have broke it. And... I mean, it's terrible. You, you have a terrible day. Everything you try to do, it just falls apart. And you lay your head on your pillow that night and you pray. Amen. <laughs> Thanks for letting me goof around this. I'm just playing around, Mom and Dad.
Um, and so on your worst day, you don't need to fall apart because your performance wasn't good or people said things that your performance is terrible. Whether at work or home or anywhere, you can stay consistently the same because your acceptance is not based on your performance or what other people say about your performance. Your acceptance is based on the performance of another, namely Jesus Christ. Okay, who else has it down? Now, no one's going to volunteer. <laughs> by the way, you were volunteered by others. Is there anyone else that would uh, feels like you have it? You will enjoy this. It'll be lots of fun. I hope. Someone want to give it a try just for fun? You could use your notes. I'm going to mess up on your first name, and I can't believe it. Pardon? Diana, sorry. I know, you and Josh. Okay. Diana, are you ready? That's okay. Okay. Diana, it was your best day. You woke up, and Josh... And the kids, they come in and bring you breakfast in bed. And they just tell you, you are the best wife. You are the best mother. You do so much for us. We're just so thankful. Our family would fall apart without you. You're amazing. You're like, wow. And you think, I, probably, I really have done a good job around here, I guess. And <laughs> you get ready and... You come in the, to, to the house and the kids say, not today, mom. You lie on the couch. We are cleaning the house. We are doing all the chores. They do their homework and everything. And it's like, wow, this is amazing. I am really glad to be a mother and a wife. And you do have how many kids? One, two. All right, I'm good so far. Then you go off to the uh, fill the car. You've taken kids to grocery store, you fill up at the pump, and you just happen to share the gospel with somebody, and they come to Christ. And you're like, wow. And someone calls you as you get back in the car, and it's Pastor Jason. He says, Diana, thank you for all you do at the church. Without you, we would just fall apart. You're amazing. Of course, he says this to everyone, but, um, but it means a lot to you that day. And uh, then... You come back home, there's flowers for you, Josh has flowers for you, and you lay your head on the pillow that night and you say, so you're pardoned of all your sins and you're accepted as righteous only because you're such a good wife, mother. You did evangelism and led someone to Christ only for the righteousness of Christ. So on your best day and on your worst day, you could stay consistent, which gets to the point that you don't need to perform to get acceptance with God because someone performed for you, Jesus Christ, which is another way to say the only thing you need to perform for is loving others well. That's all there's left. So at the end of the day, it's like, did I love well? 
and uh, it's no longer a project for yourself to overcome a lie. It's just about loving well. And so what determines your, your greatness as a man or your security as a woman is much more about loving well than anything else so that you could live an ordinary life. You don't have to do something uh, fast and famous in order to be great. You can be ordinary. You could live in normal. You could just kind of be ordinary. You could do a thousand acts of kindness each year. The end of your life have a weight of glory because you loved well. And I would rather preach a funeral for you than somebody who did, made a lot of money, did this or that or whatever, and didn't love well. And they were always chasing the God of significance. Jesus said, look at the faces. Look at that woman. Look at this child. Bring this child here. Who touched me? And the disciples are going, don't you know everyone's looking for you? I mean, we got we to gotta work on our social media. We got we gotta, we gotta, you know, great stuff going. Things are happening. Now we need to leave, go into a quiet place. We need to go over here. And we need to go down towards the poor or whoever. And so the temptation in Luke 4 was, hey, Jump off the top of the pinnacle. Dude, that would be amazing. And you know, the psalm says it. Catch you, right? Your foot won't even get hurt by the stone. Everyone will go, wow, right in front of, in Jerusalem, in the temple. Everyone will say, wow, you're incredible. Nope. And he walked in his ordinary look went to Nazareth, preached ordinary sermon, and they tried to throw him off the cliff, and he dodged that and was rejected. First time I preached was in a nursing home. First time people just fell asleep and made weird noises. <laughs> First time Peter preached, 3,000 came to Christ. First time Jesus preached, he pretty ordinary. You, you don't have to be spectacular to be who you are. You already get on the front end. So justification, your best and worst days, and now we're going to just quickly go over adoption. On page 34, Now, I just want to look at, so we're kind of doing the cram jam approach, Friday night and Saturday, and, uh, but the good news is you're not only justified, so when you're justified, God is, as it were, in a courtroom, and he slams the, what's it called, the gavel? Pardoned, and you're like, 
debt free. <laughs> and you start to walk out of the courtroom and he says, wait, <laughs> before you go, I want to credit you with the righteousness of Christ. And it's, it's, it costs someone else. Someone else took your unrighteousness and your self-righteousness on himself. And the wrath of God was poured out on him so that you can go debt-free and righteous as you trust him for this. So off you go. He declares it. It never changes. One time, justified. Always accepted. And as you go, then he comes down. He says, now, wait a minute. He comes down, and he's now takes off his robe, and he's a father. Come back up here. Now, you're my son now. I've chosen you out of the orphanage of this world to be my beloved son, and I'm going to give you my spirit, spirit of adoption, so that we're, we're alike. You start family likeness takes place. And you'll cry out, Abba, Father. And I'll say, you're my son or daughter in whom I'm well pleased. And we're going together on this trip. We're hanging together. We're family. You're living with me. You're in my house. You've got an inheritance. You're not a slave. There's nothing to earn. You get it free. It's all yours. This is the deal. We are in a loving relationship the rest of your life. So justification is forensic. This is familial. This is experiential. When I uh, went to Kinshasa, probably the ghetto of the world, uh, they don't have enough orphanages where there are some for all the orphans. And been there about four times. And the first time I was preaching at a pastor's conference, they call me Dr. Bob, Dr. Bob. And uh, Dr. Bob, uh, before you, you speak, uh, there's like a team, we're all walking along around this church and says, uh, I, 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 I want you to speak to some kids beforehand. Is that okay? Yes, it's okay. Oui, monsieur. And so we go around and there's 300 street kids sitting. He gives them a cup of tea and a little piece of bread every morning. And he said, could you speak to them? What are you going to say when you look at the faces of 300 street kids? And when adoption takes place, you're the street kid, and the father chooses in love to pull you into the family. We've had a lot of adoptions at our church, like your church, and when someone comes from China or wherever around the world, and come back home to this little airport here and the parents come with the new child. We try and many of us gather at the airport. Yeah. Sometimes kids make fun of adopted kids. One kid was in a playground and he got tired of being made fun of. And one time he turned around, he said, you know the difference between you and you all and me? Is my parents chose me because they loved me, but your parents had to deal with what they got.
one of the pastors in my denomination is named Robert Peterson. Pa pastors in Florida. He was an orphan. He and his sister, for years, uh, they went from one foster home to another, and then they became teens, and now they end up in an orphanage, and no one wants teens, he said. And uh, this is back in the 70s, and uh, they, they, uh, he was at one foster home, and the mother, uh, when he wet his bed as a teenager, wrapped him in urine sh the urine sheets, had him stand outside with a cardboard sign so the school bus would see him and shame him. I wet my bed today. Uh, so he's, uh, he and his sister are teens at an orphanage, and a couple was interested in them. He thought it was another test drive, but he thought maybe there's hope. And uh, so he prayed all morning. Oh, God, we're going to go out to dinner or lunch, and then we're going to, we're supposed to go bowling. So, oh, God, please let me bowl a strike so that I'd be wanted. He said, at lunch, they went out. He spilled the food on the man. And it was a mess all over his clothes. He thought, strike one. And then they went bowling. He said, every ball was a gutter ball. They came back and they thought, okay, this is the end. And the couple looked at them with their teeming presence like the Holy Trinity and said, Bob, how would you like to come with us? I've always wanted a son just like you. And the gospel penetrated that hard heart. And he's a gospel preacher. He's, he's been used of God. And this is what happened to us. Stories are better on adoption because it's about experiential love of God. You have to have your heart melted by the Holy Spirit. When, when our kids, it affects the way you obey. If you view God as a tyrant, then you will sin. If you view him as a loving father, it will be very hard for you to sin. If, so obedience is motivated by love, not by fear. There is no more fear to motivate. It's not necessary. Uh, when our kids, so we had five and now we have a lot, one in heaven but 14 on earth grandchildren. When they learn to walk, it's pretty much the same story every time. We're in a living room, maybe we're all on vacation together or whatever. And they pretty much look like drunken sailors. You know, they're, they got big tummies, maybe a bottle, and they're like this, and they're learning to walk. And we're, I'm, you know, I'm down here saying, let's say it's Gideon. Hey, Gideon, come on, you can do it, you can do it, you can walk. Everyone's cheering. Gideon goes over here. And he falls. Do you think we run over and kick him and say, Gideon? You no good, rotten Jonah. Throwing you out to sea. No. We say, good job. Everyone cheers. Say, try it again. 
Come on, Gideon, you can do it. If we, being evil, know how to give good gifts to our children, how much more does the Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to them who ask? And he loves us, and he, he loves our steps of obedience. You know, you're trying to pray, you're trying to lead in something, you're trying to serve, and you mess up a little. He's like, yes, try it again. Keep on. He doesn't need your good works. He loves you. He loves to give you good works so that you can be rewarded and blessed. This is our Heavenly Father. I said Jonah because our kids, I trained them. That I play with them. I do with the grandkids. I chase them around the house. Well, they'll come up to me like in a pack. They come in a pack. Every holiday, they just kind of go around in a pack. And adults kind of hang in the kitchen or wherever. And they'll come by and they'll come up to me and say, Papa, you no good writing Jonah. And then they run and I catch them, one of them, you know, and I'll say, you Jonas, I'm going to get you. And I get them. And then I say, okay, I'm going to throw you out to sea. One, two, and all the moms are like, ha, ah. and three, and I throw them up in the air and they land on the couch. And then I say, now the whale, here he comes, he's going to get you. And I tickle him. What does that teach? It teaches a story of Jonah, which is the gospel that God is always chasing us because he's not going to use someone else. He loves us and he's going to save us, pursue us, and have fun with us and uh, in all our Jonah-ness. I wanted to show just this brief clip. So the guy that discipled me, I got vitamin F from him and father and vitamin M from his wife, Kathy, and uh, the Bowmans. They've been campus staff workers for eons. They're 10 years older than me, still going at it every day with joy. They've led so many people to the Lord. They make me weep. They've discipled so many, and you'll never know about them. I mean, they're just not famous. You, you don't know Dave and Kathy Bowman, I bet. They've been at Purdue University, Penn State. Now they're in North Georgia. Amazing in every way. They taught us how to date or, you know, court, whatever, and uh, how to be married, how to have kids. And I lived with them. So it's a privilege. But they've done this with so many people. And one of the couples they've discipled uh, um, decided to adopt and out of that gospel heart. And this is a clip that went viral on Facebook of my friend's disciple. All right. Well, there's one more gift. We have one more it's gift. It's not from Grammy, but it's, yeah, it's another gift. Why don't you careful open it up? There we go. I want you to read it. I'm going to be adopted. <laughs> we love you, sweetheart. We'll always be your parents. Okay, you're a 
So the doctrine of adoption is meant to raise your affections to the height of the truth so that you don't have just truth without affections, but you have affections raised to the height of truth so that you worship and love, be loved and love God the Father. Now, a lot of you have adopted, golly, I know the Dom Kalers have, so you know about this. But the truth of it is there's something much more profound that happened to you. If you're a woman and you read the Bible and it says, you're sons of God, you might think, well, golly, do we have to have a gender change neutral Bible here? No. The reason why it says sons for us all, men and women, is because in that culture, only sons receive the inheritance. So to say that women uh, of God, or daughters of God, women are sons, is to say that they too get the inheritance, which was only for sons, it is for both men and women. All right, last thing, and we'll just go quick, because it's 11.41. And I think I will just go quick. And uh, which is, means nothing. Like, you know, the Christian kid who had his friend from school, never been to church, sat in the back row. The preacher took off his watch, put it on the desk. The kid visiting said, what does that mean? And the kid who had been there for years said, absolutely nothing. No, I'll be quick. Uh, on, on definitive sanctification, let's just look at one thing. Uh, 1 Corinthians. Do you see chapter 1, verse 1? B, the second part, to the church of God that is at Corinth with all the saints, Am I in 2 Corinthians? I'm so sorry. Verse 2. 1 Corinthians. Verse 2. To the church that is in Corinth. To those. You see that word? Sanctified. Why is it in the past tense? Why is that in the past tense? I thought we were being sanctified. Well, we are. So in Hebraic thought, there's definitive. You were once for all sanctified. You are progressively being sanctified. One day you're going to be sanctified. You're saved. You're being saved. One day you're going to be saved. So this is kind of how they think. Definitive, progressive, consummate. So when it comes to definitive sanctification, it helps us to realize we is holy, we are saints, we are past tense, 
set apart as holy and sanctified. Look at uh, chapter 6 of this letter. Just real quick, that scary passage. Uh, verse like 9, 9 through 11. Or do you not know that the, unrighte or the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. Neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who practice homosexuality, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. And, verse 11, such were some of you. Such were some of you. But you were, past tense, washed. You were sanctified. See, there it is again, past tense. You were justified, we did that already, in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the power, by the uh, Spirit of God. So when we come to uh, definitive sanctification, we're saying that this is very important that you realize you were set apart as special to God. That there was a one-time radical breach with your sinful nature. That you were crucified when you were united in Christ. That old nature dead and you were raised with the resurrection of Christ you were raised to new life you there was this radical breach with your sinful nature there was a one time separation bam you were anointed with the Holy Spirit the Lord Jesus baptized you with the Holy Spirit he anointed you he gifted you with charismata with spiritual gifts he set you apart. He anointed you. He made you holy. You are now set apart. You are now a saint. You are now an anointed one. You're a Christian. Now live as a Christian should live. And the reason this is important is simply this, is that we tend to have a victimization in our American culture that if anyone knew how bad I had it in growing up, no one would ever expect me to overcome my sin. But this kind of goes against that and says, no, there was a radical breach with your sinful nature. You don't want Christ to be crucified again nor resurrected again. In the same way, you don't need to be dead to sin again and raised to life again. It happened. Uh, as Romans 6 and other passages talk about. So you're, you could, it's like if you start off realizing I'm a saint, then you're more likely to fight, get feisty and fight that sinful nature. Squeeze it out, squeeze it to death and put on Christ and live the new life. So if you go to the last page here, you'll see it's, time to make it applicable and that is on page 46 you'd write your name my name is Robert Davis Smart I am the son of John and Elizabeth Smart the grandson of Samuel Chipman Smart and so forth so each of my great grandparents and so forth and you might say something about your genealogy. Um, I'm the husband, wife, if you're married, 
the father of, mother of, if you've got kids. I'm made in the image of God, which means I am <clears throat> glorious or I matter. I'm, I'm a fallen image bearer, though, therefore I'm a glorious ruin. I am glorious, I'm fallen, uh, which means I'm a glorious ruin. For me, I would put, I am a man, not a woman, which means my glory as a man is expressed by, and then you could write that out, what we went over Friday night. But I'm a broken man too, and sometimes my brokenness is seen in the way, and for me it would be, I tend to be too tender and less strong. Uh, but through sanctification, I become stronger. But um, I I'm afraid to confront people. Well, now I'm less afraid, but um, I would tend to just beat myself up and be self-protective. Flight versus, I'm not as much fight. But then I learn to love, and I'm just going to walk towards people. I'm not going to run from them, look them in the eye. And I'm here to bless you today, and love's going to win. And so I become more feisty in that way. But that's how I would say I'm broken. Um, I, I renounce my core lie and Satan's condemning thought that I'm unwanted. And I renounce my foolish strategies to try and get to be wanted. I would spell those out. These foolish strategies, which did and do not work, are... And then the last three paragraphs are written for you. You don't need to add anything more unless you want to. But if you type this out or write it out and share it with somebody, it's so powerful. It's like revival. Every time I go somewhere and we do this, because the way we do it in a longer seminar is I get out of the way and it's so much fun. I sit in the back, we take a little break, and then one at a time people come up and they get in front of everyone else even though they know these people, and they say, my name is, and they say their name, which means, Robert means this, Davis Smart, and they, they go through it, a little bit of their story, and gender and so forth, and it is so powerful. I've never seen a dry eye when we do those times, wherever I've been. Um, but you could do it in small groups, you could do it in family, you could do it one-on-one, -on -one. you could do it together uh, if you think it through. But you have to prepare, it takes about an hour to type this out, and it's real powerful. That's where the power is, it's not in the teaching. <laughs> I mean, that's where the life comes in. The Holy Spirit falls when we, when we tell who we are. It's amazing. It's like you're preaching the gospel through yourself your own being. So that's what that is. We thought uh, we'd have a short Q&A and then uh, Pastor Jason uh, thought this would be good is uh, those that are called to minister up here, maybe, maybe Josh will play music, I don't know, but those that are called to, to minister to others will be up here. And we encourage you, wouldn't force you or anything, but if you uh, recognize the lie, maybe you're unsure, but you know there's one or two, whatever, you just come up and you 
come up to them and just say, I renounce the lie that, and I renounce my foolish strategies to try and overcome it. That's all you have to say. It's just, you're taking every, 2 Corinthians 10, 45, taking every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. Renouncing this. I renounce the lie that, and I renounce my foolish strategies. And then the person ministering to you, if you all could just bless them, just tell them the truth. You are loved, you are pardoned, you are accepted. Just give them the gospel or pray over them, however the Spirit of God leads. You just bless each one for a short time and we'll see what God does. We'll see if anyone even comes up. Amen. We'll just go for this. So just quick, any questions or thoughts before we end this time? Linda. That's right. And I was wondering, could you kind of explain each of those? Yes. Definitive progressive consummation on sanctification. So it's so important that there's a definitive work. There had to be a, a death, a breach, a cutting off with your sinful nature once for all. There had to be a once-for-all anointing of the Spirit and empowerment for life and service before you could progressively pursue holiness. And what a lot of evangelicals do is they start with this part, performance, and they skip indicative, the, uh, the is-ness, that you be holy already. But since you're holy Boom. Pursue holiness. And then it's going to be a fight. It's irreconcilable war. Your sinful nature never stops fighting the new nature. So you must get feisty and, and fight. And then you could laugh over and triumph over your sins as you grow. And then ultimately, you know, we're going to be holy be made in the image of God in the consummation, the end. So does that help, Linda? All right. Father, thank you for this time. We pray you give us a good time of worship, uh, a time of just renouncing lies. We're we pray we would just not cherish these. They wouldn't function for us. We just get tired of strategies and we'd be set free so that we really do just want to love others because we're taken care of. And you would make us powerful instruments in your hand through the Holy Spirit to really spread the gospel and love to other people, healing, deliverance, all the things you want to do. And we pray in Jesus' name, amen.
Hey, uh, it's no, uh, not, don't want to prolong anything, but, um, well, that adoption video about killed me. Um, and it, it reinforced a core lie on me that I am worthless. That's what really hit me when I looked down that list, just transparency. I, I thought, that's totally how I feel. I feel like I, I'm worthless and not accepted by God. Thank you, Pastor Jason, right? But it's, it's the truth. Um, it's the truth about the lie, Right? And so I don't want to leave without giving you an opportunity just to recognize what God has done, what he's revealed, and to take a direct action right now. Just real simple. And so I'm going to ask a a couple of our pastors or if you feel led to just um, uh, pastor's wives, whomever, um, to just be up here and give you opportunity. if If you want to just say, as Pastor Bob just said, I renounce the lie of whatever it is, and I renounce my um, my foolish strategies of blank, and then just simply give you opportunity to have someone agree with you and just confirm that yes, that is a lie, and um, and to speak some truth over you. Just that simple, amen. So I'm going to ask Pastor Josh if um, he'd just play here for a moment, and as you feel, if you need to go, go. We won't extend this longer than it needs to be, so don't feel bad if you need to go or if you got an appointment you got to get to. But let's just close out by by doing that. How many this was worth your time this weekend? Amen. Um, I, I've had some others say, um, does Pastor Bob, will he do this again so I can invite other friends or hear more? Yeah, we'll make sure to, to let you know that. Um, uh, get that out there somehow so you can have knowledge if you want to see that again or bring some others. But let's just, uh, altars open. If you want to do that, I, I encourage you to. Sometimes it's just good to step out and acknowledge it right away and get some truth spoken into your right away.